we are not all average. Uh, Elder Baldy has a saying that I have loved, I guess, since my childhood uh, about averages. If you have one foot in dry ice and one foot in boiling water, your average, average temperature is pretty good. But that doesn't make you happy. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English. Close the wall up. Dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, uh, this is the personal wealth coach. This is Jake McClure, and on the line with me, I have... Jeff McClure. Yeah. We, we are uh, suffering with a delay, so we're going to pretend like we are ultra-high-class news anchors and... Uh, you won't be able to see this on the radio, but we will hold one hand to our ear and look very serious as we wait for the lag to go through as if it's an important thing. But um, the reality is that we are calling not across the globe. Technically, we are, uh, but really, really rather uh, just several miles apart from each other. Um, but in order to do that, we're calling out from one computer to a virtual machine and then from that machine through a telephone call, yes, from the internet. So linking to a virtual machine, then doing a telephone call from the virtual machine to a cell phone, which is then going through another machine into the studio. Supply chain issues, I think. Um, this is the personal wealth coach, and we have some um, quick, not so quick, Disclosures to do. First off, the Personal Wealth Coach is the name of this program. It is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. That's not a coincidence. The two guys talking to you today, both of us bald, both of us bearded, uh, genetically modified uh, on purpose by ourselves somehow. Uh, the older one is my dad, and he genetically modified himself and made me. So... I am a genetically modified specimen. The two of us have been doing this radio program for 26 years together uh, in a non-paid way. We are not paying for this program. The program's not paying us. However, we buy advertisement on the, pro on the studio for this program. Just because the firm is registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC particularly likes or dislikes us. There is no anointing or uh, chosen golden children, much more redheaded stepchildren, if that's even politically correct to say. But that's what the regulators are supposed to do. They're supposed to treat everybody with the same amount of skepticism, as hard as that is. Uh, let's see, what else? I said, that, oh, this is uh, not investment advice. I just told you about the SEC and the firm being registered to give investment advice, and now we're on the air, and we've been doing this so long, and we can't give you investment advice. What? Because investment advice means we have to know who you are. And while that's possible, that it's really easy if nobody's listening for us to know everybody that's listening, but there's still privacy issues because somebody could tune in right at the wrong time and hear private stuff. So really, what are we doing? Education. Hopefully, we are further confusing and befuddling so that you can get unconfused and unbefuddled. Uh, I know. It takes one to get to the other. That's how we learn. Uh, and we have another disclosure from Elder Baldy. Jeffrey, what do you got for us? The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable 
but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Fantastic. Uh, and as you said, uh, we have a couple of questions from Inquisitor John. Thank you, Inquisitor John, our most loyal questioner. He questions about everything, questions us in a good way, usually. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, the tradition is here, and he doubled up. He's done it twice. There's two questions here. Uh, and both questions follow tradition. He has taken a digital picture of the paper Wall Street Journal with hand annotations uh, uh, with areas in question highlighted or uh, outlined. Uh, and the first question is doing nothing. So he's got a, uh, how can the Fed do nothing and still get credit for doing something? Uh, the article in question is top Fed official backs pause and rate hikes. Man, if that could be talking about a bear. Backs paws? What, what does that is there Are there claws involved in that? Some, okay, what does that mean? He means that this Fed official, just like most of the Fed officials, have said that they are not likely to raise rates next week. Um, everybody kind of wonders the next time they meet, but they, that's, it's actually happening uh, the first week in November. So we should hear on Thursday that they've paused the rate hikes. Now, the reason why the market was down this week is mostly because of the good news of the GDP and the semi-bad news of the inflation numbers coming back high. So that's, that's context of what's coming here. And we'll get into more detail on that in a little bit. But the question that he has is a great one. So all of the esoteric stuff to, to the side for a minute. Uh, he said, how did the Fed do nothing and still get credit? So the quote that he's got is, there's a question asked. We don't know what the question was. Um, but he, he said, we did a lot. We did it very fast. The workings of the economy cannot be rushed. By doing nothing, we are doing something. And I think we are doing quite a lot. John's question is, how can the Fed do nothing and still get credit for doing something? Wait just a minute. He didn't say the wait just a minute part. That was me. Well, doing nothing is not really what's happening. They haven't changed what they're doing. So it's like when you play a, a friendly neighborhood game of poker and they say the next dealer comes in and says, yeah, we're going to play the same thing that we just played. You start playing, but it looks like nothing's changed. So the rules that the Federal Reserve set at their meetings are still selling about $95 billion a month of bonds into the market. That has an interest rate um, effect. What, what the elder baldy Jeffrey said uh, just a few moments ago, when people are selling out of a given market, causes the price to go down and causes if it's paying an interest rate on a fixed number, that fixed number didn't go down. So interest rates on the long end of loans are going up because the Fed is continuing to sell into that market. And I know that, that, that we're back at esoteric. By doing nothing, what they said is we're going to keep doing what we were already doing. So I, I love that the doublespeak is so thick in the Fed world that in order to understand what doing nothing means something, you have to understand, I don't know, English isn't, isn't a proper way of speaking economics. Economics isn't a proper way of speaking anything. It's just uh, we, we try to use words with other definitions and we throw them in to say now they mean something else here. And in this case, the word nothing doesn't mean nothing. They just didn't 
change there. And you wanted to add to this. Well, they've done a lot. They've done a lot. And because they've done a lot, it takes a while for that lot to take effect. Um, and by holding still and watching all that they've already done work, they get an idea that the, the fear in the markets and the fear in the economy is that the Fed will overreact and do too much. If they do too much and they have done this many times, then we get a big recession that they generated. Uh, Volcker's recession in 1982 was a real booger, and, uh, and they're trying not to repeat that. And I think they're doing a pretty good job of not repeating it, and they're being patient, and they need to continue to do so. I, I, I applaud their move. Now, Greenspan made a recession for us. Uh, there have been quite a number of Fed chairs that came right out and said, here you go, have a recession. We're going to get this inflation under, under control. And the whole question about soft landing, um, we, we have been saying and reporting for the past six months that those core inflation prices have come down quite a lot, that they're not, I mean, by come down, they're not rising as quickly. Uh, they have not gone back to what they were. But this leads actually to the next question from Inquisitor John. Um, and this has to do with the Chinese economy, what the, the word factory gates are. Um, I muted myself and I will mute myself. Unmute myself, so I'm going to mute myself okay. now. I think it's cool that your dogs bark when I say China. That's that's pretty fantastic. Okay, so John wrote about the China. He wrote, asked us a question, and the uh, what does it mean by factory gate? And the article that he sent us this time is China's economy remains shaky, and then and it goes into a lot of detail about how. Uh, the Chinese economy, which has been so heavily based in real estate development. Well, their population's not growing. And the people that can afford a new house already generally have a new house, but they continue to build new houses. So unless everybody begins to own lots of houses, they have too many houses and too many offices. Uh, and they thought, well, we'll just run the economy by continuing to build there. Okay, so that's the, the core of what's wrong in the Chinese economy. There's other things too. They're moving away from innovation. Uh, but the uh, Goldman Sachs was saying that prices at the manufacturer level, when they're ordering things, prices have dropped. So you heard me just say that inflation is coming down. It's not growing as quickly. When prices drop, that's the opposite of inflation. Now, now it's going backwards. And in China, uh, we've had big drops on a non-annualized basis uh, uh, month after month after month because the steel that they've been using for construction isn't being purchased. And the... Uh, I, everything that they're the metals the chemicals the energy those are things that have been talked about in here but th those kind of wrap it all up everything that they use to manufacture with the prices have come down and in your question is unlike this here's the part that's circled unlike consumer prices factory gate deflation has persisted for nearly a year as Chinese demand for metals chemicals and energy has been undercut by the continuing real estate downturn um Factory gate, it sounds like a, a wonderful 1960s scandal that may or may not have to do with unions and the president, uh, but it doesn't. It just means the price that the factory pays at the gate when they're bringing in raw materials. And it's not even, a, it's probably not even held as a word of definition in any economics textbook. It might be, uh, but it's, it's, such a loose term it's really what the i don't know 
factory gate deflation. That's the first time I've ever heard those words put together, uh, though it is a very nice coined phrase. So uh, Stella Yifangi may have just coined a new economics term, factory gate deflation. Um, that may actually get reused. It's a pretty good term for what we're looking at because the prices are still on the retail level going up. There's a lag there. So if you're buying something to build something and the prices go down, well, it doesn't affect the stuff you already built three months ago that's sitting in the store today. This also goes back to why the Fed doing nothing is important here. Because it takes a while to steer the Titanic. Not that the American economy is, or it's not really even the economy. Not that the value of money in America is a sinking ship. It is the other way around. We haven't hit an iceberg. We're kind of slowly avoiding icebergs. But we've taken on some ice on the whole. It's slowing us down and we're still speeding up. Well, how is that? It's all very confusing. How do you slow down and speed up at the same time? This is what shocked economists. Usually, we know what the lag effect is. Speaking of which, when, when Elder Baldy speaks to me through this convoluted network of, of voice interaction that we have going, his video is about a second and a half ahead of what he says. So that throws you off when you're used to seeing a mouth and a voice working at the same time. Why did I bring this up again? It's the answer to this question. Supply chain issues over the past 25 years have been very, very regular. You order something, you know when you're going to get it. And that's gotten better and better and better and better. And then bam, we hit the pandemic. Okay, now we don't know when we're going to get anything. Anything we order might take a lot longer to show up, especially if you were getting it from China. So we said, kind of by and large, let's get it somewhere else. Well, we have a factory in China. Yeah, but it's taken too long to get the stuff that we're making in China because we're not making it fast enough. So we're going to take it somewhere else. Well, the Chinese economy has been ramping up production on all those things that are used to make stuff. Because over the last 25 years, there's only been more factories from outside investors, more and more. And so their people in, inside their country are go, okay, we'll make more steel. We'll make more plastic. We'll make more everything. And we'll sell it to them as cheaply as we can. Well, they kind of messed up in the pandemic and it's kind of continued. During the pandemic, when the rest of the world started quickly moving to other suppliers because China was not shipping on time. It was not keeping its prices right. And what was arriving when it did get shipped was not what was ordered or the quality was far worse. Those are very, very real things in the economy. It sounds like you're reading Amazon reviews, but it really is. If you take those Amazon reviews and magnify them across the economy, what you see is China went from being mildly interested in quality control for its customers and semi-diligent on getting things to us on time to eh, quality, schmality. Let's bring the prices down. Uh, yeah, we don't need to deliver on time. And when we do deliver, prices are down. So the quality is going to be horrible too. It'll be fine. So as we've moved away from that, all of that steel, all of those chemicals, all of the stuff that went into all of the factories that are moving now has nowhere to go. They have to figure out how to ship it to Vietnam or to Thailand or to Mexico or to the United States. How do we, they're going to start shipping raw materials to the United States? That's a flip. 
That's a major flip. So what they're seeing is actual honest-to-goodness deflation happening on the manufacturing side of their economy. Their consumer prices are hovering right at zero, dipping below it, dipping into us. We say, oh, that sounds fantastic. No inflation. They're just getting, they're paying the same prices for everything. Yes, but the people are making less money. So that's not going to work for very long. Well, they're making less money? Yeah. Fewer flag factories means fewer factory jobs. They already had a big unemployment issue in their, in their younger, more educated population because they got more educated, but there's no businesses to hire the more education because most of the manufacturing was being done for outside customers, not for internal to the Chinese economy, right as the government started pulling in every direction to mess up their own system. So it is a really nasty kind of perfect storm of all the things that you really shouldn't do with an economy that's reached the peak population already. Uh, it's, its population is now in, in decline. Um, the average age of a Chinese citizen is now higher than the average age of an American citizen. What does that mean? It means that if you look at the average age of a population, you can tell how innovative it is and how productive it will be. Um, because if you have an average age of 80, it's probably not good for your economy. Um, and if you have an average age of 16, that's also probably not good for your economy. Having an, Our average age is right at I think it's 38.6. That could have changed by a couple of decimal points since the last time I looked at it. China's passed us a couple of years ago and is getting close to the, to the 39 mark. And they're beginning to age much faster than we are. It takes a while for a population to age because you're replacing people as they die. But they're replacing a lot fewer people. These are some other articles that recently we've come out, um, Hong Kong has the lowest birth rate on the planet. There's, uh, it's 0.8 babies per mother for the lifetime of the mother. Now, two is replacing, re re just replace the population. So they're losing population here every year. They're aging closer and closer to a whole year because the there's not as many babies coming in to mess up that average. I know this is all goofy, but basically it, it says a young population is better for manufacturing and their young population is getting older. Uh, and when we look around the world, a lot of those populations are getting older. Japan's population is getting older. Western Europe's population is getting older. Eastern Europe, different places have different results, but there's a lot of countries that are youngering. They're getting younger. So they're, this is part of what Vladimir Putin is fighting about. The Russian birth rate is just abysmal. And yet you go to Poland and Ukraine and you start to see it's like people expect to be able to keep what they earn. It's amazing. So they're having kids and they're enjoying life. Um, and then now there's a war. So anyway, that, that was kind of a long circuitous answer to all of that, but it covers a big chunk of the two largest economies on the planet. Uh, our inflation, it wasn't as bad as Europe. Why? Because we supply a lot of oil. We supply a lot of food, grains, eggs, chickens, pigs, beef, all that stuff. We are a major supplier. When the two other major suppliers of the planet of grains disappeared and one of the other major suppliers of the planet in oil 
took away backseat, that had a big impact on our agriculture and our chemical production. That's part of the reason why we're doing well. But China's entrance into the world economy distorted everything for quite a while. Why did they distort everything? Because they were making a massive transition from agricultural third world uh, developing nation status, developing economy status, to a modern digital industrial nation status. And as they did, they brought a lot of people off the farm, just as we did in the 19th century and in the early 20th century. We bought, we brought a lot of, actually 100 years ago, this happened in the United States almost exactly when people massively left the farms and moved into industry. Uh, Massive movements across the country, people left the South and moved to Detroit. uh, And we had very low inflation as a result of that. But we also had some after effects that I think we're likely to see here. Uh, But China's ability to produce things at dirt cheap prices and have them be high quality and with reasonable delivery is deteriorating very quickly, not only from uh, the demographics and economy of China, which is in a world of hurt right now, but because they have developed from a relatively liberal economic form, a relatively free market economic form into a very restrictive, centrally controlled economic situation, which is makes them very unreliable. In other words, politically, you can suddenly lose something. Um, uh, I just ordered something that was only made in China, and I ordered it directly from the Chinese manufacturer. And I got a notification today. This is an example. It apparently disappeared between here and there, and they're refunding the money. The The company I went through to, to pay is refunding the money. Uh, I've not had that before, and I think my experience with manufacturers and, and so on is they're having the same problem. So this is why we're going to wind up with more inflation and higher interest rates in the future. Yeah, I, I will give you a, a, a kind of a parallel there. I realize these are micro issues, but those micro issues, we only talk about them when we're seeing them on the bigger picture. What you said, you had an order disappear to a Chinese company. I had, uh, so I have a, a young son and Halloween is coming up and he wants to dress up as Sonic and he has the, the Sonic's nemesis in the movies is a guy named Shadow, which looks just like Sonic, which only he's gray and black instead of blue and white, which I'm sure saves a lot of money on drawing and rendering. They just put different colors on the same model. But for some reason, the shadow um, costume is not available in the United States for adults. I know this is a very strange thing to be looking for. I'm thinking the internet has everything. I'll be able to do this because in my son's mind, Shadow is best friends with Sonic, not the nemesis. So I'm going to be my son's best friend for Halloween. It's going to be great. So uh, two weeks ago, I'm looking online. I see, oh, there's no, there's no easy ship to me place Amazon for a shadow costume. So I went to a Chinese company. They said express shipping. We can get to you overnight. Um, so I ordered it and I have, I got an update that yes, that they had received my order. And then I went into my order details and it said that I should get it in four months. That is not what it said when I'm ordering it. It said two days when I was ordering it, but it said four months when I had spent the money and I can't get them to return my email to refund the money. So I may have to go to uh, the credit card and say, stop payment on that thing. They are, I don't know what they are. They, they, it's its a black hole. Um, and so this 
this, where was China not that long ago? Well, if you did that, you, would, you had some question about quality, but if they said they were going to send it to you in a given time, they'd do it. And if you complained about it, they'd give you a refund. This company obviously, you know, I bought it through their webpage and all of the reviews on their webpage look like they were written by them. So I should have known better. Uh, but that's where the Chinese market is in a lot of ways. When they look at selling to the United States, it's more about how much can we make off of this sale rather than they're going to buy from me again 20 times. It's how much can I make now? Uh, it is for those of you who follow uh, behavioral finance or behavior in general, it's the prisoner's dilemma. It, they are convinced that trade with the United States is going to be less in the future. So they want to make as much as they can today on the trade that we're doing with them, which causes quality to go down and prices to be all over the place. Uh, in this case, I'm probably never going to get the thing I ordered, but I paid for it. When the GDP came in, I was looking through the various industries and what made up the GDP and how it jumped so high. And there's a number that just jumped right out at me. Gross private domestic investment. That is businesses investing in themselves or is rose eight uh, annualized 8.4% seasonally adjusted in the third quarter. 8.4%. That is investment in production in the United States. That is earth-shaking, and it says a lot about what we're likely to see in the future. We're going to see some, I think, significant growth into the future. A lot of that is coming from U.S. companies that are um, spending a huge amount of money on bringing whatever they were manufacturing back to the United States to doing it here. We've talked about that for the last year. This is also happening in, like I've mentioned this about uh, TSMC, the uh, Taiwan semiconductor. They are, um, they are um, the largest chip manufacturer in the world. That doesn't mean they made large chips. They make very small chips, but they make a lot of them. And those chips... Uh, are at threat from the mainland China country situation about possible invasion and all of that. They have spent about $2 trillion over the past two years on manufacturing in the United States. And I'm going to come back to something after this. The GDP of Taiwan is less than $1 trillion. Hold on to that for a second. They have spent $2 trillion in the United States on manufacturing factories to do essentially what they do in Taiwan. That's two times their GDP. The, uh, the head of that company um, is politically motivated, but the uh, Foxconn, which is another Taiwanese uh, chip manufacturer, the CEO is about to run for president of Taiwan. They're scared. Uh, in the in the manufacturing that they're spending, and by the way, the money for that started hitting this quarter uh, for a lot of that manufacturing. They had to jump through a bunch of hoops to get it done. But look in Arizona and Nevada for big, 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 big facilities being built in the near future or already started. Um, and I'm going to hand it back to you for the for the final. Oh, just uh, we're kind of make a segue here because this is a nice time to do it. We we were talking about our GDP, four point nine percent. Now GDP. It, anybody that's listened to us for very long knows that GDP is weird. What is GDP? Gross domestic product. What does that even mean? Well, it's supposed to mean what is created within the borders of a country. In our case, obviously, the United States. 
within the borders of our country, it doesn't matter who owns the company. If it's manufactured here or produced here or sold here, it's part of our GDP. The government expenditures are part of GDP, which just as a side note, government spending is not growth. But we put it in the GDP because we were measuring stuff in the 1940s and 50s after World War II to see how com countries were recovering from being smashed flat. So their government spending was growth because they didn't have it before and that was coming from the Marshall Plan. GDP was used in large part to track the U.S. spending in the Marshall Plan after World War II. We switched as a nation to GDP well after that. We, call, we used to use gross national product rather than gross domestic product, which is the production of U.S. citizens across the planet. Wherever U.S. citizen-owned institutions are, if the profit was to U.S. citizens, it's gross national product. If it's just created inside the borders, that's gross domestic product. All the math that goes into it is still a lot of guesswork. It's guesswork that's done the same way each time, so you get some consistency there. Uh, so as much as we talk about how much we don't like the GDP and how it's figured and so on, as a measurement tool... It's been measuring the same things for long enough that it's a good tool to use to measure, even if we wouldn't have measured the things that it was measuring intentionally. Um, having said all that, we have a headline. And this, this has been over the past six months. We have heard again and again headlines everywhere. Uh, recession is coming. The, the, the downturn is upon us. We are about to have the most uh, just horrible headlines continuously, but I guess it's more than six months. It's been more than a year. It's been 14 months that we've been hearing the recession's about to hit us. It's going to be horrible. And we've looked and we've looked and we couldn't see it. Well, now we have as big a rebuttal to that recession threat as you can possibly get, which is 4.9% growth in a quarter. That's the same growth rate that the Chinese reported and they are known for doctoring and their books. Well, I got a big echo there. Um, did you want to step in? What was it you wanted to say? I just wanted to say that you're not the four point nine percent was an annualized rate. It wasn't for this, not for the for the if, if the if the year if we continued for four quarters this rate, we grow at four point nine percent, which by the way is probably fifty eight percent faster than the Chinese economy. Yeah, I, and I'm I agree with that. So that's why why are we saying that? Because a big chunk of the way the Chinese economy's GDP is calculated is based on a much looser equation in the GDP, which is take an average productivity of your citizen and multiply it by the number of citizens. That's called a circular equation because how do you get the average productivity if you don't know what they're making? If you're trying to determine what they're making by their average productivity and you determine their average productivity by what they're making, it's... It's, there is a dog chasing its tail there. <laughs> and so when their population grows, their GDP grows. And when their population starts to shrink, you see their GDP shrink. The reality is that when we look at their GDP with what we can see and compare it to our GDP with what we can see using similar techniques like satellite at night imagery of what factories have their lights on. And how much oil is being burned or coal being burned to produce power at different plants. You can see that from space. There's a lot you can figure out from space about productivity. 
And we know for a fact that a bunch of the Chinese economy is kind of inflated by the local bureaucrats saying, hey, people in Beijing want us to say that there's growth. So here you go. Have some growth when they don't have as much growth as they as they're claiming. Um, We don't do that so much here, except kind of at a personal level to say I'm worth more than I am. We've got that at the personal level. There is some inflation and deflation in that at the macro level, but this is why we get the most boring bureaucrats to try to measure this stuff. They're not trying to wave a flag and say, look how well we did. It's just measurement. Uh, and politics definitely gets into it in, in China. All right. So I kind of hit both of those questions and tied them together and then added the last piece here is all of the doom and gloom, the big rebuttal all of the doom and gloom, gloom and the big rebuttal of, hey, the economy grew at a quarterly rate of 4.9%. That's not a recession, folks. But every headline that I saw, every one, economy grew at 4.9%. There's a bad part at the second half of every headline. It, why this couldn't last. Why it is that we can't grow at this speed forever. Um, so it's like, but that could soon fade. Uh, you can't just admit, hey, we had a good quarter. You got to be like, oh, well, 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 I know we said we that this couldn't occur. And now that it's occurred, uh, this, this, this could go away at any moment. Uh, I think that's funny. But bad news sells clicks. We don't report on airplanes that land safely. So you are not likely to doom scroll uh, kitten videos. Yeah. So you have something to add here. Well, I agree that it can't continue, and the reason I agree, I agree. I was just pointing out the negativity it, of the of the headline. Uh, go ahead. Right, but I think it's important to note that during the quarter, the Bureau of Economic Analysis also reported that wages went up three tenths of, or in the month of September, wages went up three tenths of one percent, which is good. Uh, but spending by consumers went up seven tenths of one percent, which is a lot more than three tenths of one percent. Yeah, more people were employed. But they can't keep loading up their credit cards and buying more stuff at this rate. So, and and the other thing is, the United States economy simply would not be able to support our, our infrastructure. Cannot support a four point nine percent growth rate in the United States. And if you don't believe that, get on the highway and try to drive. Get on an interstate just about anywhere and try to drive just about anywhere right now and look at the bottlenecks of eighteen wheelers, and you'll understand why we can't grow that fast. Yeah. So, so from our perspective, our growth is phenomenal and we can maintain growth, but not at the rate we've been trying to. It's, it, it, we're at our max capacity at this point for growth. Uh, we could get a little spike of a little bit more, but I think this is the spike of a little bit more. This is the thing saying, oh, we're growing really fast. A lot of this has come from infrastructure spending from the Inflation Protection Act, which didn't have anything to do with inflation um, and is looks a lot more like the bill that Donald Trump put together for infrastructure spending that then got a new name slapped on. So saying that there are things that we can agree on in politics. Joe Biden passed an infrastructure spending bill that Donald Trump tried to do, but the Democrats wouldn't let him. And this is a part of the growth that we're seeing right now. And you are listening to the Personal Wealth Coach. And... We will be back next hour with more. Yeah. If you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give personalized investment advice to people of relatively high net worth, to corporations and foundations and trusts as well. Um, Occasionally guardianships. 
you don't know what that is, that's probably a good thing. Um, if uh, you would like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail waiting during the weekends, real live people during the week. Locally, that number is... 254-947-1111. And a toll-free 1-800-914-7526. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can see our famously made-for-radio faces. You can uh, read our philosophy, see our wonderful staff, contact us through the contact form. You can see our radio programs going back a long ways. You can sign up for our newsletter and read it. You can actually read it without signing up for it. Um, And email addresses are jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com.